I too have pressed the record button, and this is the recording that is button. What? No, that's not a sentence. Mm-hmm. R- round two. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm I'm well. Are you asking me or are you asking the general public? A little bit of both. They can't really answer me as quickly as you can, so I'll take your answer first and I'll wait for theirs by email. <laughs> by email, by Twitter, by Friendster. By Carrier Pigeon. By <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> I thought Carrier Pigeon was a weird throwback. No, French was older and more vintage. Record an MP3 and uh, upload it to Napster. But make sure create you see... Y- <laughs> create a YTMND for me. Oof, jeez. Yeah, someone brought that up the other day, and I totally <laughs> forgot that it existed. I was like, wow. For any listener who knows what that is, you know what, honestly, I'm not surprised if you do, but at the same time, I'm sorry, look it up. I imagine anyone around our age did encounter... or. I, okay, I'll, I'll rectify. Yeah, Anyone around our like, age yeah. who spent enough of their time on the internet would know what that is. Yeah, I'm sure there's some, probably some good Avatar ones out there for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that lines up. Speaking of yeah. Avatar... <laughs> oh, the, the thing our show is about that people are tuned in to listen to, not us reminiscing about old defunct websites? Oh yeah, nobody cares about our personal <laughs> lives. <laughs> no, no, they don't, but we, we talk about it anyways because we have to catch up with ourselves as well between calls. True, these calls um, are the only time we really really get that, you know, full hour to, to, to chat. Yeah, you know what, when the winter isn't the end of the world and we're not dying of cold and frustration, we'll meet up for a beer on a balcony somewhere. That would be nice. Maybe sooner, but we'll see what the winter brings. Exactly. That, that's, yes, anyway. Anyways, I'm actually really excited to hop into one of the greatest episodes of, I think, this season. Like, I've kind of peaked at the rest of the season, and I think this might be one of my top episodes this season. Yeah, I think it's up there, and uh, as far as I know, this is one of the sort of acclaimed episodes by, by a lot of the community, uh, and it's Zuko Alone, which is book mm-hmm. two, chapter seven, and I'll, I'll yes. just quickly read the synopsis, which is pretty short. Uh, after leaving his uncle, Zuko continues his solo journey. He meets a boy in an Earth Kingdom town who brings him home to dinner. While this happens, Zuko has flashbacks about his life before banishment involving his loving mother and cruel sister, Azula. There's some weird punctuation going on at the end of that sentence, but... Um... Yeah, the, like, the way you said it, too, and even like reading it again, I'm like, no, it's weird, they put a comma there, but I guess it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it should have been like a semicolon, maybe? I feel like it's artsy to use one of those, but I, I don't know my English well enough. Jeez, uh, I did graduate in, in English, so I feel like I should know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I was an art student. I have no excuse. Yeah, there I mean, you, I, I, you have no excuse. I have no excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Maybe just a couple extra words, like his loving mother, as well as his cruel sister Azula. But mm. I don't know. Maybe that's too wordy. I don't know the conventions. Anyway, anyone who watched the episode knows that this is it's a not. <laughs> literal solo Zuko episode. Like, I know we've talked in that in the past where we have an episode where it's like, oh, hey, we never checked in with Zuko. Oh, there was no B plot. There was no Zuko in this episode. This episode is 100% Zuko. Yeah. It is literally literally Zuko, and the B-plot is little Zuko. Pretty much. I mean, the B-plot is the flashbacks, I would say. Uh, Or even the B-plot might even be the the present-day story. The flashbacks really take us through a lot of learning about Zuko. I mean, we don't really... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think this is the first encounter we have with Zuko's mother. And we saw the type of relationship. And the last... Uh, yeah, probably the last, at least in terms yeah, of, like, like actually... Yeah, might come back again, but that's kind of a... I- I'd forgotten, like, I remember this episode, I remembered 
the uh, the I remember being a Zuko solo episode. I forget if there was a B plot, and I clearly I think I even mentioned last week. I forget if there was one, and I was right there wasn't one. Um, but I forgot how dark this episode gets in little spots. It's rough. It's it's very interesting. Um, again, it serves to humanize Zuko. It serves to demonize Azula, that creepy little child. I agree with everything the mother says. What's wrong with that girl? Yeah, um, but you do see that sort of, you know, we always hear about daddy issues, but I think mommy issues are, you know, there's clear tension within the family. Zuko Mm -hmm. and his father don't really get along, and and Azula and her mother don't really get along. Um, Yeah, like, I feel like I love how the mother kind of plays an advocate for the audience, and we kind of get to, like, I literally remember sitting there, like, I was writing the note down of, like, wow, this, like, kid is so creepy, what's wrong with her? As the mother then speaks the line of, what's wrong with that kid? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> like, you were literally speaking for me as the audience. Which I guess is a valid point, and I mean, it, it does go to serve a lot towards what they're trying to get across. I just realized I didn't have my notes open, so I'm just doing that right now. But yes, oh, that's okay. I, uh... <laughs> I'll continue rambling for a few more minutes. Well, I completely um, agree. Um, I I think it she does sort of serve as exactly that, almost like a stand-in for, for what we're all thinking. and. It's clear that, especially towards the end, and and we can go back through the episode a little bit more uh, in a second. But once yeah. you sort of see the sudden, the sudden end of sort mm-hmm. of Zuko's mother or or her disappearance, I guess the end sort of implies a lot yeah. more of a um, sinister, sinister undertone. Undertone, exactly. But you definitely see that Zuko's upbringing has a lot to do with, I think he was very much protected from some crueler members and of his family by his mother, who I think, like him, was a bit more sensitive and caring. His uncle, too, obviously. You see right away that Iroh has a soft spot for Zuko, and it, it definitely seemed like there was a divide within that family, and uh, it remains true to this day. Yeah, we also get a bit of, uh, I mean, here, no, let, let's go through the episode a bit. I feel like we're going too much into the, our feeling about the episode, and we'll reach all those. Yeah. Um, I, I, the first note I took, and I'm kind of looking at the note and re- trying to remember what scene it was exactly. I just wrote Zuko and put a heart emoji. Hmm. There's, there's a couple nice moments in this episode. He, you know, he obviously develops a little bond with, uh, with uh, the boy, Lee. Lee, wow! I'm like, I'm like, you're not gonna get the name. What are you trying to do here? Anytime the name is mentioned, I, I write it down. I write it down just so I'm not just saying the boy, the, the other boy, this guy. <laughs> so someone, someone took English in school. I should do the same thing. I really should. That's <laughs> ah, okay. It's okay. Where 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 I get the names, you you point out the cool animation stuff, which I and we have to... some. Yeah, I got two for next episode. Nothing for the. Uh, no, I have one for each episode. I think actually, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. But, um, you know, right away, uh, one thing that's really interesting that we see for the, maybe the first time is, is you sort of see corrupt or just general unpleasant Earth Kingdom soldiers. And we'd seen yeah. every encounter, except maybe uh, uh, the general who tried to get Aang to go into the Avatar state. You generally see the Earth Kingdom soldiers, they're, they're fighting for the good side, they're noble, they're, they're tough, they're... they're but they are kind, they care about their people, um, and these guys are none of those things. These guys are, are absolute dicks. <laughs> and uh... Yeah, like, we've seen, we've seen the Fire Nation, we've seen multitudes of different nations, we've seen 
you know, Water Tribe that can be a little bit too harsh and set in their ways. We've seen Water Tribe that can be more liberal. We've seen even Fire Nation, people who have, like, excommunicated or run away or have fought against the Fire Nation. We've seen guards do their job. We've seen guards be overly uh, mean. But the Earth Nation's kind of had this really simple and stagnant relationship with the rest of the world. And this is our first... Yeah, I think... uh, the general who kind of messed with the Avatar state there was our first taste of, like, I mean, it's with good intention, it's just kind of a jerk, but this is really, like, people abusing power and taking advantage. Like, we saw a very similar scene of the Fire Nation doing this to an Earth Nation town, whereas uh, the one with the uh, the Earthbending kid. Yep. Who, uh, whose father went to the war or went missing. Uh, gets, yeah, no, that's the Fire Nation who, and they get kidnapped and go to the weird uh, oil tanker in the middle of nowhere. Oh, with George Takei. Uh, that was Haru. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Haru. True. I totally forgot about that. Was, uh, that was that episode. It was like a weird brain didn't match up the two scenes there. Um, yes. But this is our, you're right. This is our first time really seeing the Earth Nation's seedier underbelly side. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I suppose uh, that's probably what the show is going for. It does want to think, I think, uh, paint people of all kinds on both sides and in every corner of the world is that being on one side does not necessarily make you a good or a bad person. And it's also kind of needed as a development tool because we can't just have Zuko encountering Fire Nation and fighting fire versus fire. We need him to fight other people or right other wrongs other than just the things that his nation has done. It's like it's one thing for him to turn around and go, oh, the Fire Nation is doing bad things. Let me fight back a little bit. But that would be like too much. We need that neutral zone for him to turn around and go, I can right a wrong that I understand is wrong without. Because at this point, we still assume his ultimate goal is to catch the Avatar and go back to the Fire Nation. It he is. doesn't think the Fire Nation is bad. He thinks Azula's bad, but he still believes in the Fire Nation and their goals. We- so we need him to have an enemy that isn't the Fire Nation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we actually see it later in this episode and in the next episode that Zuko still very much has his end goal to capture the Avatar, regain his mm-hmm. honor, and return home. Um, but exactly like you said, having these not... It, it doesn't make sense for him to turn around and start fighting the Fire Nation because in his mind, the Fire Nation is still the side he fights for. Even if he doesn't, you know, even if he's an outcast right now and he doesn't really belong and he doesn't really have anywhere he's going in this episode, he just sort of happens along this adventure. Um, Mm -hmm. But what we do see here is that Zuko does have values that are maybe different than what we see from Azula, what we see from the Fire Lord, what we've seen from a lot of the Fire Nation as a sort of a, a monolith is that Zuko will stick up for people when there's a perceived injustice. He will help people who. He doesn't stand anything to gain from. I mean, yeah, okay, like, they gave him some food, but he had it already, but... No, yeah, he had, there was no reason to go back other than a sense of duty or pride, which, in ge- as much as you can make an argument that pride is a bad thing and he's doing it for... No, no, this was really, like, a sense of duty. This was a sense of honor. They helped him. He got the kid in trouble by giving him the knife and teaching him to fight. He has to go atone for what he's done and make things right. Yes. And he knows the people he's going after are people who deserve to be taken down to free this town. Exactly. So, you know, a bit of a chaotic good type thing. So, you know, he, he does will, mm-hmm. he will do things that are self-serving, but he does still, he does still believe in sort of, of a, 
Yeah, exactly. He does things that are still ultimately what he believes to be the right thing to do by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, no, very actually, yeah, very good definition of chaotic. Uh, good. We've I know we've had the the alignment chart before discussion. I looked it up. I found terrible ones, but yeah, it's tough. I think I think you know the alignments are always a little bit subjective to an extent. But I do I, find I, Zuko... I still think the only yeah the only guarantees I think are you're right. Uh, chaotic good is Zuko. Uh, good. What is it? Good. Uh, not neutral good, but lawful good. Lawful good. That's the word. Is definitely Ang. True neutral is definitely the cabbage guy. Uh, <laughs> as those are the only three I can say with like a hundred percent certainty. Yeah, I mean, there's some other ones. Uh, I guess Fire Lord, Chaotic Evil. I guess maybe Azula. I'm not sure. Yeah, actually, probably more so she than the Fire Lord. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's we we will we will one day we will both sit down and make our own individual ones and compare them on air. Yes. Yeah, Maybe a first season finale of this season, or like a series finale, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I, I like that it kind of raised the question to me. Like, it, it actually had me write the question down before they answered it. Was in the flashback when they make it very clear that the next person in line for the throne is Iroh, and the only way that his father could get the throne, uh, Ozai, would be if Iroh died. And then there was that moment where I'm like, wait, yeah, then how did... Ozai get the throne over Iroh. Like, I never even put that together, that he's the older brother of the Fire Lord, and it's a patriarchy, so the oldest son would get it. Yes. And it, I, it, I, I was like, yeah, wait, is there more to the story? Like, are we going to find out now? Is this the next episode thing? And, well, we do find out this episode, but it really did have me, like, I'd forgotten. It's a whole plot point. It never really occurred to me until literally before they answered it. Yeah, well, exactly. We don't know exactly what happened. Uh, obviously, we know Iroh lost his son. He left um, the siege that he was he was overseeing, and the next mm-hmm. thing we know, the the old Fire Lord passed and named Ozai as his heir, his second born son. They actually made a whole big deal of announcing. Yeah, another that thing was his dying wish. Yeah, exactly. So we don't exactly know because the last time we saw uh, Azulon, the Fire Lord, he was actually rather upset at Ozai for even suggesting that Iroh be passed over uh, for, the, for the throne. So, again... And I, I mean, you'll remind me if I'm incorrect in the assumption I'm about to make, but as a viewer, I can very safely assume that the comment Azula makes about uh, uh, the Fire Lord making Ozai feel the pain that Ira felt, the whole kind of like, oh, dad's gonna kill you literally, which is really dark, mm-hmm. but also very believable for the Fire Nation. Yeah. To the mother's disappearance. So I almost want to assume it's Azulon forced him to kill his wife instead of his firstborn son because she made the sacrifice of don't kill my child, take me instead. And then in anger, killed Azulon and then just made it look like he died of natural causes, not, like, actual being burnt to death or some shit, and turned around and says, and before he died, he admitted to me that he did not want Iroh, but wanted me to be Fire Lord, and people just said, okay, you're his son, why would you lie to us? Yeah. I I'm mean, sure there's some fuzzier details, and I'm never sure if it's truly explained at some point. I'd be kind of curious to know if it does, and I just forgot about it, but... I am really not sure. I don't know okay. if that detail is ever brought to light within this like within this the show maybe i know there's comics that came out taking place after uh the last airbender 
finished, that might illuminate it more. But I don't think the specifics of how Ozai became the Fire Lord. And maybe Iroh gave it up. Maybe he just said, I don't want it. I, I don't want to participate in what the Fire Nation is doing anymore. Like, it could have been a number of things. True. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to know if a, if a listener has the answer or... Yeah. Some, or, I mean, I might even just do some Googling later and see if I can find anything from the comics that's interesting worth bringing up. But uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know because I feel like it's a... It doesn't need to be said. I feel like we get enough of a vibe of, like, something shady happened. The, like, even if it's just as simple as the mother vanished, and now he's Fire Lord, and the f- grandfather who was already frail suddenly died at the same time. Something shady. Sure. But it's, it's I would love convenient. to know more without needing to know more. Yeah, it's too convenient. Fair. Um, um, again, I think I have, like, three notes here reminding me that I want to hit a child, which is really wrong, but Azula deserves it, and she's a manipulative, creepy child. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, obviously the, the seed is planted uh, planted early. You can see right away that she is very different than than Zuko mm-hmm. is. It, it doesn't seem like she has a whole lot of humanity to her. Um, she really just yeah. seems to already be manipulating people in ways to get what she wants and to mm-hmm. get ahead and to look better, um, which pleases her father, who is probably much the same, but... Everyone else, I mean, even our friends, you can see that they're a little less uh, tolerant or, or, or just, well, I mean, they're tolerant of it, but they're not maybe They're tolerant, but they're not immune it. to it. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the way I was looking to word it. Um, towards the end, back in the present, quote-unquote, present day. Yeah, this is, one of those, this is one of those moments where I look at my notes going, why do I have no notes for this? Oh, right, because I was glued to the screen. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, when Zuko gets back... Uh, he he gave uh, Lee a dagger, which Lee then took and pointed at those soldiers. Thugs. Yeah, the thugs, we can even call them. Uh, obviously, that didn't go over well. So Zuko comes back, rides in. He does everything he can to not firebend. Yeah, like it really seems like he's making a point of it. And then the flashbacks, I kind of feel like the idea essentially is they remind him who he is and that he should be proud of who he is even though it ultimately turns the town against him despite having saved the day and likely made their life better it kind of serves a dual purpose of reminding him that the fire nation is still hated and he is still looked at the way he is whether it be as you're a part of the fire nation we hate you you're part of the fire nation royalty we hate you or even the old man's comment you're an outcast burned by your father and tossed away, you're still hated. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it sinks in yet for Zuko, but I do believe there is a bit of a humbling moment at the end where Zuko does declare, I am prince of the Fire Nation, I am Fire Lord Ozai's son, firstborn, heir to the throne, this, 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 and it's like, no, you're just a, you're an outcast, you got banished, you, you know, we know you, but... Yeah, it just makes for an ultimately very, like, like almost like a, a dual stab of first, like, we hate you because you're Fire Lord, but also you're not, screw you, like, you've been disowned and abandoned, but you're still associated with them and a firebender, and we all dislike you because of who you are. It's like a very, like, like, you would almost expect the town to, like, look, like, had he not announced he was the son of the Fire Lord you could almost see the town looking past him being a firebender, like being afraid of him, 
but like the mother still thanking him regardless and the kid still being like nervous but like thank you and then he'd leave off into the sunset with the rest of the town chasing him out but the announcing that he is the son of the fire lord really makes a statement but it shows that he still believes in the fire nation and still believes in his father and what he can be and what he will be yeah um and that's interesting i think that's a duality zuko has to play with for a while when he eventually has to separate you can believe in the fire nation without necessarily believing in what they're doing at that very moment um, because I think yeah. I don't think Zuko ever loses faith in the Fire Nation um, throughout the entirety of the series. Does he go against them? Of course, because what they're doing is very wrong. But I think that that's where his mother's comment: "Don't forget who you are. You are a Firebender. You will be a Firebender for the rest of your life, and thus you will be associated with the Fire Nation." But what I don't think he gets right away is that you can control what you do with that, and you can control. Um, or you could begin to control what that means. And obviously right now, especially in a town that is so affected by the war, not only from the Fire Nation attacking them, but their own soldiers treating them like crap. Yeah. It's tough to sort of come out and say, well, I'm a firebender. Not only am I a firebender, but my family is directly contributing to the continuation of this war. Mm-hmm. But... You know, it does set up for the tides to begin to turn at some point when when Zuko does sort of fulfill his destiny, we could say. Uh, But it's, you know, it's the very beginning of that. And there's still a long way to go. No, but it does build a lot of character. I mean, as we've we've harped on many times as Zuko's development, this is a huge, huge amount of development without feeling too expositional. I don't... I feel like it teaches us a little bit about like, you know, him growing up, how he's always kind of had to compete with his younger sister being better. How I like the comment the mother makes of, like, I loved watching you do that because that's who you are. You fight even when it gets hard. Yeah. And I think that says a lot, for even in a foreshadowing sense, of, like, you will, you will eventually turn to face your father and fight him in an attempt to defeat him, whether on your own or with other people, but you are going to try to fight your father which is clearly the more difficult path rather than just joining him again. Mm-hmm. And I think what but we he see... he does what's right. I think what we see now is that... Uh, exactly, yeah, he does what's right eventually. And what we see right now is that Zuko still defines his success and his worth by what is important to people like Azula and to his father. Because to them, mm-hmm. brutality, strength, power... Are, are important, but they treat strength and power, maybe not brutality so much, but they, what, the way they treat strength and power and force is in a way to conquer and keep down those who they consider below them. And Zuko, because he doesn't maybe feel as strongly about that, though he very much wants to, especially at the beginning of the show, definitely has sort of... He's got a little brother complex, even though he is the big brother. Mm-hmm. And once he stops defining himself by that and he sees well power and strength can actually come from a completely different source and can be used in a completely different way that's when he starts to sort of begin a rebirth almost and you know obviously that's why he has iroh around to sort of be his moral compass until that time comes and even when the time comes on the on that note, and speaking of Iroh, because I want to get to more of our Iroh in the next episode, mm-hmm. I think we can move on to our next episode. If you are okay. yes, yes, we rejoin the main story in 
book two, chapter eight, which is called The Chase. Mm-hmm. Um, Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph are chased by an unknown machine, which results in a lack of sleep. After Toph and Katara argue, Toph leaves and runs into Iroh, who is tracking down Zuko. After cleaning Appa so his fur does not leave a trail for the tank to follow, Aang goes one way as a decoy, and Sokka and Katara find another direction on Appa, the former of which results in a three-way fight. Very mouthy and a little plot-driven-y towards the end there. I feel like you could have just said that they split up. I don't think they had to explain the they clean Appa to stop the trail, and then make a fake trail, but then they see that the trees are broken, so they assume they went that way, so they split up into two different ways, and they get into two different fights. Like, I feel like that was a little, like, over the top, but, again, I just like commenting on whoever writes these, because it's kind of fun. Oh yeah. my god, if the person who writes these or wrote these is a fan, oh, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I like this, uh, this episode. Um, it's one, I wouldn't say I forgot about it, but it's one that, this one is n- a lot more plot-driven. Uh, there are some moments of character development. Um, this is really the first episode where Toph is with them. She didn't just, like, she just joined them. Then we had a Zuko episode just with Zuko. Now Toph is part of the group, and obviously there is some butting of heads. There's tension. I mean, this is, I mean, it, ultimately, like, to sum up a little bit what the idea here is, or the goal here is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's here is someone who has never been on, who has always had to fend for themselves, though they've had everything provided to them by having rich family, Toph. Yeah. She had to provide her earthbending to herself. She had to go out and find her own life and entertainment in her own because she was, though she was given protection and food and family and love and like the things you think of, she had to kind of go out on her own to become her own person. And here she is as part of a collective who's trying to be like, hey, we all work together to help each other. And she sees it as, you just want me to do things for you instead of for me, and you don't think I can do the things I need to do myself by myself. It's like a weird dichotomy of, she can't let someone in to help her because she's too strong for that, she doesn't want to show signs of weakness, but she doesn't want to help other people because she can handle herself, and if she doesn't need help, why should they? Yeah, she definitely takes a very much like, if I can do this, why can't everyone else do this for themselves mm-hmm. type of approach? And it's exactly as you put it. Yes, she has had everything she needed provided for her, but not maybe everything she wanted. Anything she wanted for herself, she would need to get for herself. And she didn't ask of it, anything of anyone or expect anything of anyone. She just did it. Um, and I think she brought that mentality to the group, which goes in stark contrast to someone like Katara, who is very much. I want to help everyone, and I expect everyone to chip in. So they both expect what they bring and what they believe. Of other, They expect that of others also. It's very much a treat others the way you want to be treated, because I'm sure Toph would be fine mm-hmm. if everyone was like, yeah, we're all going to do our own thing, we're all going to set up our own camp, we're all going to make our own food, and that's cool. And obviously Katara is much more collaborative and much more let's all work together and get this done. Yeah, and I feel like that is kind of the overarching lesson of this episode. Like, as they always try to teach us a little something. Yeah. Um, there is our lesson. Uh, ultimately, though, I think the actual plot side of this episode is still very interesting. I like the idea of this, like... It, it's kind of like an... Like, they call it a machine in the description. Yeah. And I like using the term machine because a machine is non-sleeping. It doesn't need to rest or stop. 
but here we have this literal machine chasing them without giving up at all. Like, they go to the top of a mountain and it's still climbing up that mountain after them. Uh, regardless of, yes, it was Appa's fur they were following, they eventually figure out. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of this relentless machine hunting them and not giving them a chance to sleep, I think is such a great, I don't want to say metaphor, but it really does speak volumes for how hard Azula is pushing already. Like, there is, like, it's it's already 100%, not like a ramp-up thing. Yeah. And at this point, they don't even know who she is yet. Like, they encountered her once um, in Omashu, and mm-hmm. only later in the episode does Aang find out that she's Zuko's brother. Uh, uh, Zuko's sister, excuse me. Um, I was like, wait, <laughs> But, uh, exactly, and, and sort of the sleep being a secondary or even tertiary enemy in this episode, which only provides more tension, it provides yeah. more frustration, it's tough for you as the viewer to feel comfortable with this episode because you you really do relate to that in a way and and you feel uncomfortable and you feel stressed which is must yeah. be what they felt being chased relentlessly unable to even sleep for five seconds yeah like if i could speak directly to the listener and you yourself ryan i i feel you can you've been there if i've been there you've had that deadline for a project school work something that was coming and you could not stop. Yes, in this case, it's not physically a machine full of women on lizards trying to kill you, but it is time. The famous metaphor of snakes and lizards in a, in a friggin' robot train. The figurative um, machine full of women on lizards, you know. <laughs> that's a t-shirt if I ever saw one. I am a, time is a figurative train of women on lizards. Yeah, but exactly. Uh, we've all we've all been in that situation <laughs> where there's been that impending like, yeah, it's, something it's is bearing coming. down on you, and nothing you can do can stop. So you literally have to give up sleep, make yourself weaker, and make the task at hand even harder. And yeah, in most cases, you can usually say it's your own fault. You put a, you have a deadline, and you didn't fight for it. This was them being imposed upon. Yes, but I think you understand it. So I think having them be that tired, you get exactly what it means. Like, I don't think many people can relate to the show and the level of, like, yeah, my father was been missing in the war, and now I'm defending the hometown and providing for my poor mother and my, and my siblings because we live in a rural town in the middle of feudal Japan where there's a war happening. Some of you might relate, and I'm not saying it's impossible. I just feel like the majority of the audience at the age and time the show was airing and the audience it was being played for as an American TV station probably not as close to home as maybe some other rare examples. I think. So having, yes, so having an example where here is an enemy sleep that you have probably dealt with, it it does let you empathize with the characters on a very different level for once. Yeah, and obviously the sleep causes tension because Toph says, uh, screw you guys, and she leaves. Yeah. I mean, I think she's right to leave after the joke Katara makes about the stars. That was a deep cut. I'm sorry. Like, low blow, as much yeah. as we've been, we, we've been very PC about this, like, we've been complimenting the show and it's, like, ability to make, like, appropriate humor and jokes and, like, be appropriate in the right places. Making a joke about how beautiful something is and a blind person can't see it just because you're mad at them, that is a low blow. Ugh. It is, but I think, um... Uh, given how given how angry and tired they all are with each other and how there's like very little barrier between them and they're all kind of like on edge 
I understand that they were, like, trying to show how angry she was that she'd make such a terrible joke. I don't think I'm blaming the writers or the staff. I'm blaming Katara's underslepness. Yeah. Lack of sleep. I think they... I think they needed something that would get her riled up so much, Toph, I'm saying, uh, that Mm -hmm. she would leave. Because Toph's also someone who could take a lot and not be, you know, pushed to the point of walking away. And I think they needed a low blow like that to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's not even common that gets her to walk away. It's more when uh, she blames Appa with the fur falling out and Aang kind of yells at her that she finally leaves. But Sure. I think the idea of, like, they're all kind of piling up on her a little bit finally by the end is the idea. Yeah, well, exactly. And then Toph happens to run into Iroh. What a what a coincidence. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. And I also love the idea of, like, one of those moments where, like, she's never really going to encounter Iroh again beyond this episode until, like, a major climax, point, climax probably, like, versus Zuko. And there'll be that moment of like, oh, it's our enemy that we all hate and we all want to fight, right? Toph, Toph's like, that's the old man who gave me tea in the woods at a great conversation with? What? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for that moment. I love that moment in the TV show. I mean... When two characters who should be enemies meet but don't know they're enemies. They met up later in this episode. In the, in the desert town. I think... I think Toph realized that it was the same guy. Although, not 100% sure. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think it ever really comes to air in the same way that I wish it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess you could just say, like, she now makes the connection of, oh, the, like, I, let's just, like, again, we assume by how good she is with her sense, she could probably tell people's footprints and, like, mannerisms apart where they walk. She can identify people. I think we can safely assume she figured out who this guy was, that he was fighting on their side with this other guy who she'll have, I'm sure in the off-air moments will be explained that Zuko. He's the prince of the Fire Nation. He wants all of us dead and Aang is a, a prisoner. And I'm sure, like, it'll all come to air and, like, we'll never really think about it again. But I kind of love, like, when two characters from different sides meet and don't realize they're enemies. It's kind of a cute moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And anyway, the idea... Um, obviously, Toph and Iroh speak for a bit and Iroh mm-hmm. says, you know... There's no shame in asking for help. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Toph almost, you know, we always see Iroh as the advice giver, as the all-knowing and wise. But Toph leaves him with some advice, too. Like, you should yeah. let your nephew know that you need him, too. And that causes Iroh some pause, I think. And that's, I think that's why... I think Iroh was very content sort of tailing Zuko, letting him figure things out, maybe fail here and there on his own. And eventually, well, you know, if Zuko was in grave danger, he'd step in. But I think Iroh stepped in earlier than... Which he does. But I think Iroh did step in a bit earlier than than he otherwise would have. Yeah, I feel like he was probably nearby for that fight because of what Toph said. Had they not had that interaction, he may have not been as close as he could have been, mm-hmm. and may have not been able to have jumped in there and saved the way he did. Exactly. Um, so I do want to, before we get to that nice big ending fight scene, we did gloss over a little thing. Uh, I just really wanted to share two things I thought were really funny. One was the, uh, I liked the, true, she even, she even asks uh, who Zuko is, and Sokka's response is, some guy with a ponytail, as Katara goes, 
what about your ponytail? Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, no, this is a warrior's wolf tail. <laughs> to which Katara responds, which lets people know how fun and preppy you are. Yeah. Something to that effect. <laughs> I thought it was just a really cute, like, sibling, like, jab. Amongst uh, all this, like, hatred and, like, anger and frustration. It's like, almost, that they can still uh, be witty. It's almost like a fourth wall thing, because I don't know how, how ponytails are are treated in, in the Avatar world. But yeah, that's probably the way the ponytails can be looked at in, you know, our world. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a nice little funny moment. I agree. I liked that. No, that was a really fun little one. Uh, and that also leads to another moment when they're flying, I think right before um, Appa falls asleep about falling, we get this moment of Sokka with these like, really big exaggerated eyes like, freaking out about something. I can't remember what, he, what he's freaking out about. I think it's the lack of sleep and, like, things chasing them. And the music is kind of weird and, like, Halloween-y. Mm-hmm. But as much as this episode has had a really nice way of drawing their eyes to help denote how tired they are, yeah, that moment, that exaggerated animation, is, again, one of those things where like, the animation is so fluid. There was a lot of love and handcraftiness put into it. And it really is pretty. Yeah, no, I mean, the animation is, is always pretty top-notch, uh, is always pretty top-notch in the show, and it's the subtle things that I like that you pick up on, because I don't, and then going back, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what, that was pretty cool yeah. that that happened. There's those kind of moments, those kind of moments where you can tell, like, and I mean, you can see it in people, too, like, if someone is making you dinner, and they make you a, an entree, an appetizer, and dessert, and one of those three dishes just, like, really seems like they put a lot more effort into it. And there's, like, when they describe the meal to you, they go into, like, excruciating detail in every ingredient and how it was prepared and served. And there is a level of passion and fire in them for that one. That's kind of what you see in the animation with a show like this. And, I, and I'm picking up on it now, and I'm loving this rewatch a lot for this reason. Mm-hmm. Is your, I'm noticing, like, after like whether it be a certain fight scene or a certain like art style being used but this was one of those moments where it might have just been one animator was given like oh we need to look exaggeratedly tired and acting crazy and they just went nuts and really put it in their all and like penned everything perfectly to get this really amazing smooth animation and movement and exaggeration yeah like they really put their extra like that they pulled the overtime shift the night to finish that scene because they wanted to, not because they had to. Oh, exactly. And uh, to sum up the final climax of the episode, Aang meets Azula, who followed the quote-unquote fake trail. Zuko mm-hmm. shows up at the same time. Mexican standoff ensues, and then everyone yep. sort of everyone else sort of shows up mid-fight scene, ends up with everyone surrounding Azula, who then turns and. It's Iroh, which sort of ends the fight scene right there. I think Azula sort of yeah. disappears. And Zuko then banishes everyone. They, they, he doesn't want them to stick around. He, he no longer has any concern at the moment. Uh, although he did say in the fight scene, he's mine, as in the Avatar's mine. He's still my responsibility. He's still my duty. Yeah. He neglects Aang standing right there in front of him. Although he because is outnumbered. Iroh is worth more to him. Exactly, and and that's a, and that's a really powerful moment. It's one that I even I didn't even think to note it. I'm really glad you brought it up, but it is a really powerful moment that we've been reminded before. But this is, I think the first time it's really, really put so bluntly. Of I would rather take care of this man who I love because he means that not much to me than capture the silly avatar and bring him to my dumbass father. 
Yeah, and it's... It would, eh, where's my words? Another thing that is just a quick little interesting thing is, I mean, it is in Katara's nature, but the fact that she offered to help right away, despite the fact that this is the person who has been causing them hardships from the beginning of the show, uh, it says, you know, she's more interested in helping regardless of of who it may be. Maybe she does, there's a part of her that does believe Zuko is redeemable. Um, but of course, Zuko does not allow for that. He just wants them all gone. And, and that's how it ends. They finally get some sleep. But just an interesting little note there, too. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very nice ending, especially after everything we saw. In the, it, it's really weird how this episode was not a very Zuko-heavy episode, but ties in, especially that last bit, so closely to the previous episode. It does. It's almost like uh, it's almost like these two episodes are meant to be watched together. <laughs> oh, it's like we planned this all from the beginning. We didn't plan this at all from the beginning. No, but we can take credit for it. Hey. Um. Yeah, I, I really, really like that ending. I mean, it, it, it's raw emotion. Like, there's no thought process of like someone's like literally he may die on the spot we know he's alive but we don't know how well he is or where he's gonna hold on to or how he's gonna get through this exactly but you've just sent someone away who has offered to help and yeah i i know you may go well the their enemies how does he know she's really gonna help this is the voice of someone arguing with me i've decided but (laughs) to just blatantly turn away help when there's nothing else around. It's not like you're in a big town and you can call for help or go to a hospital. You're literally going to have to carry this man on your back to whatever small village you find and pray he makes it. it. It's just, it's really raw emotional power. And again, the fact that he chooses to focus on Iroh over the Avatar does show the difference he has from Azula in that he is human and caring. And this is... I wouldn't say our first really obvious point of contention for that. We've had many moments of Zuko showing that he cares, obviously. Yeah. But this is a really emotional, big emotional beat for him. And I, I think it's the first time the audience can really side with him and be like, oh no, Zuko. And then go, wait, am I cheering for Zuko? Yeah, exactly. I think it's one of those... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could say it much better. It's one of those times where you really feel like you're cheering for Zuko and... It's not weird. We're starting to see that, you know, that coupled with the flashbacks we saw in the last episode, we're starting to understand him a little bit more. Like, yeah, he's still being kind of a whiny douche, but yeah, we get it. <laughs> we get it a bit more mm-hmm. than Azula. Like, yeah, but, uh, but as we summarize these episodes, I will share one last great animation tactic that was used in this episode, and it's kind of a really convenient... And I won't say was written into the... I don't think was written into the show with the intent. But do you know the old story about the lightsabers in Star Wars? No. They were all green. Oh. It was easier to animate. It was cheaper. It made things work better. And it was less budget and less production. And at a time when VFX are very expensive and very complicated to do, easy is better. Um... They eventually, I can't remember if it was through like audience uh, feedback or like uh, early viewings, they changed the lightsabers to have different colors to help you tell who was a good guy and who was a bad guy. Right. Super simple. Bad guys get red, good guys get green or blue. I think they ultimately did the green and blue to differentiate uh, 
Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan, just so you wouldn't mix the two of them up, so you knew all three of them. You knew the bad guys are red, good guys were the blue and the green. And then it sort of just spread from there. The bad guys always had red, and good guys always had blue, green, or the occasional orange, yellow, and purple, depending on the series, comic, and show you're watching. I'm not going to go into that. It's a whole other podcast we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we have a fight scene where there are three primary combatants, one firing air and two firing literal fire. We're able to denote who was who because of the color of these flames. Sure. And I mean, we've had other fights with other firebenders before, but this is, I think, the first time where you kind of, like, knowing who was attacking who almost made the fight better. Because there's never a moment of, like, oh, it's just it's fire hitting Aang. It's obviously one of them. No, no. That's clearly Azula. That's clearly Zuko. You're right. I think uh, that's one of those details I took for granted uh, a little bit. And I think I knew that detail, and I just never really remarked on it. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, just to have a character be different, you know, the idea of their flame is that much more concentrated and hot that she can bend lightning and her flames are blue. It's a great character trait, and it's a great way to write that in, and I don't want to assume it was written in purely to have the colored flame for the easiness of animation or the easiness of differentiating the fires, Mm -hmm. but it's a great side effect to that, that you have two people who are able to do something differently that you can better tell them apart. It's just a really nice, whether it is an animation benefit due to the story or a modification to the story to allow for better animation, I think it's a great harmony of two things. And I think the show has taught us a thing or two about great harmonies. A yes. Spirit world, earth world, the four elements, all that stuff. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Well said. But ultimately, as we usually end our episodes with a little summary, uh, I think two very good episodes I am surprised went well together. I, it's almost like a peanut butter cup. I forgot that how good these taste together. <laughs> I think uh, I just think things are starting to pick up a little bit more plot-wise. Obviously, you know, we have our setting of the stage, but I think I think this is the point that things start to accelerate uh, a little bit more as we head into the second half or, or get towards the second half of the season. We're almost halfway yeah, through the show. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All, all the players are on the stage. Uh, everyone knows who everyone is. There really isn't any mystery left in this season. It's really just now conflict and moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'll be surprised by something or some bit of someone's backstory we'll get into that I don't remember. But ultimately, it looks like these next roughly 12 episodes, I think we have next as episodes 9 to 10, and then following that as the other half of the season for 20 episodes total. Yes. We really just get into the earthbending traveling the earth nation developing these characters developing this group um more conflicts with azula zuko i'm assuming will grow a bit more and i'm I'm looking forward to it it's i love the setup the show does setup and world building so well as we've said countless times yeah but i'm also happy to now now that we've built now that we've set the stage the 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 chess game can begin exactly so more more to come uh, and this is this is just the beginning. I had a line about the end I couldn't think of, so I'm just saying the thing I was going to say in an ominous fashion. Hmm. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> there we go. I think that's. I think the tiredness is catching up to both of us. If it isn't you, it is definitely catching up to me. Yeah. No, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. So we will we will bid our our listeners a very good slumber catch up on that sleep 
Don't let the figurative train full of women on lizards hunt you down. Yes. You no. Know, get the sleep you deserve. Yeah. Get some sleep. Eight and hours. When you're done sleeping. Eight. Eight. I'll be happy if I get six. I'm gonna play video games tonight. I'm an idiot. I know. Eight. But uh, I got a late shift tomorrow. All right. There you uh, go. And when you do wake up, all refreshed and awake and not shedding like Appa, you can find us on Twitter. Yes, at, uh, at Ryan W. And at Boxless Thought. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Feedback on the episode, your comments, things we've missed. Uh, if you know answers to things we may have asked, like, was the blue flame thing a result of animation or vice versa? Or what was the other question we asked? Oh, do we learn more about the mysterious disappearance of uh, 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 Zuko's mother? in one of the comics or like other series or other medias yeah let or, us know uh, we'd love to look it up or if you just completely disagree with something we said yeah you know you guys are so wrong here's or, or you agree you guys are so right thank you for speaking oh my yeah thoughts. that too we do like good feedback <laughs> we like praise and i don't think we've asked yet but assuming you're listening to us you probably got us through itunes or some form of podcasting app you could review us yeah. Like, I'm not going to be like, you have to give us a five-star review. If you want to give us a three-star or a four-star, we'll take it. The yeah. two and the one hurt a little bit, but the three and the four are still, like, above, you know, 50%. We'll take it. Uh, I agree. I would take that. Yeah. All and right. if you have a really, like, a lot of shows I listen to do this now, if you can do a really witty, like, written in the voice of a character and sign it from that character kind of thing, I would love to read it and try to do my best to imitate that character's voice, which will be terrible. Oh, my God. Because uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, that would be uh, fun. That would be a while because we're so backlogged on episodes. We haven't started, like, if you're listening now, we're still not at the posting phase. I'm trying to get the holidays because we're posting. <laughs> yes. So it'll be a while, but we'll get them in. We'll get them in. We'll get there. You will hear our but, voices soon. Well, they're hearing it now. Or now. now. Yeah. And now you will stop hearing our voices as we leave. Goodbye. Bye.